Hey there, and welcome to The Pseudo Show, a Destination Linux network production. Today, we will address one of the most misunderstood concepts in all of IT, DevOps. What does it mean? How do you use it? And can you actually achieve a state of DevOps? All that and more on The Pseudo Show. Welcome to the Pseudo Show, your home for all things enterprise open source. I'm Eric, the IT guy, and joining me every episode is my co-host, the unyielding Brandon Johnson. How are you doing today? Doing great today, Eric. I, mean, I just finished a project with a with a, one of my customers, and right now I'm actually working on finishing decladification of my personal life. Wait, you're doing what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah we're moving, you know, the cloud, that stuff. Things like Grammarly. So I was using a service called Grammarly that has a plugin for, into your browser so you can check your the grammar in your email in, say, Gmail before you hit send. I found an awesome open source project called Language Tool. It has a cloud option and a self-hosted option. Of course, I'm choosing to self-host Language Tool. That's languagetool.org. You know, the cloud option has a bit more uh, functions than the self-hosted option, but all I need is what's in the self-hosted option. And it also helps me avoid the privacy implications of using a, a cloud-hosted service like Grammarly. Well, that sounds a lot more exciting than, than uh, the last couple of weeks for me. We've, uh, we've been moving into a new home. So that's taken up the vast amount of my time. And sadly enough, I have a couple of digital ocean droplets that, uh, that I spun up and got patched and, and ran all my Ansible playbooks against. And they're, they're just begging for, for something to do. Uh, but um, luckily was able to get get the move done and get the studio up and running here in time to, uh, just in time to record. That's awesome. Glad you're we're able to get uh, settled into your new home. You just didn't want to do the show by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so we received some feedback this week from one of our listeners and thought we'd share it on the show. Anastasios writes in, hello guys, I'd love to check out more episodes from you guys and looking forward to them. I, I want to join the open source community and any guidance on how to develop and what areas specifically. I have two years of experience in OpenStack administration troubleshooting, and a little bit of deployment. I've had a Ceph-heavy focus as well and currently looking into Kubernetes and Docker. I'm so excited except for two things. I lack Python skills and have only done a little bit of automation. There are just too many things to learn. It'd be great to have your thoughts on how much and in which areas I should focus more on the upcoming months and years. So Eric, what do you think? Uh, what, what advice do you have? We definitely appreciate hearing uh, from all of you. And in fact, one of the things that Brandon and I have been talking a lot about is how do we foster connections between contributors and projects who need help? We actually had an employer this week uh, reach out in our matrix room to post a job opening. And I think that's a great start, but I definitely feel that there's more the show can do. So stay tuned, send us your ideas. We're, we're still kind of talking through that. In fact, uh, if you have any ideas on, on how, we could, how we could better foster those connections, just head on over to sudo.show slash contact. Anyway, back to, back to the email we received. When I read this, uh, the first piece of advice that sprung to mind was that right now automation is king. Knowing how to set up Kubernetes and deploy applications, that's all well and good. But knowing how to do that automatically, that's great. My recommendation is to spend some time learning Ansible. It is quickly becoming the most popular automation tool out there. And from my own experience, it's the easiest to get started with. Now, adding on to that, 
I'd also start learning complementary projects like Terraform. So Terraform and Ansible, I feel like are very complementary projects. Ansible does things very, very well. Terraform does things very, very well, especially Terraform in the terms of deployment, Ansible in, in terms of configuration management and other automation uh, activities. So I feel like those two tools go hand in hand. Outside of programming and automation, I mean, obviously Python's a great uh, language to learn, especially in the automation space. But if you're going to start really getting into Kubernetes distros, I highly recommend starting to look at uh, distributions like Cubic, OKD, and also Rancher and K3S. Uh, I think uh, those are great places to start in terms of setting up Kubernetes and understanding what's actually being used in uh, production deployments. Yeah, that's awesome. Like I said, we definitely appreciate everyone that's that's been writing into the show. If you'd like, uh, just send your feedback. Just head on over to pseudo.show slash contact. Feel free to send in your feedback. We might even read it on the show. So today, we're going to talk about the definition and the principles and the tools such as Ansible, GitLab, and secrets management. Speaking of secrets management, this episode of the Pseudo Show is brought to you by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and business organizations to store, share, and sync sensitive data. You can go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to check out this great service. You know, this is this is our second episode with Bitwarden as a sponsor. And and something that I really came to appreciate about the service is if if you moved recently, you know how hard it is to remember all the different places that bill or ship to your old address. But how are you supposed to remember and keep up with a unique password for all of those accounts? That's where a password manager comes into play. Bitwarden works across all your devices from mobile, desktop, and browser plugins. So definitely another major plus if you're relocating. I've been a Bitwarden customer now for two years, and it's an awesome service. If you want to make the smart move like many of our community have, then check out bitwarden.com slash DLN and get started for free. If you're like me, though, you'll want to show your appreciation by signing up for the premium edition, especially when the premium edition costs only $10 per year. That's right. $10 per year. That's less than a dollar a month. Thank you to Bitwarden for sponsoring the pseudo show and all of the destination Linux network. We get asked what DevOps is all the time and what it means to us. From my point of view, DevOps, put simply, is about aligning goals that seem to be opposing. Development teams tend to want to work at lightning speed because they have demands from the business. Also, developers want to work with the latest and greatest tools, whereas operation teams want stability above all else to avoid the 2 a.m. wake-up call. And they want to also avoid the excuse of, it works on my machine from the developers. Now, I've been working in uh, IT for 15 years. And one of my jobs I, that I had was working for a startup. I was basically the operations manager. But we worked so closely with the developers that you would think that we were running a DevOps shop. This was before DevOps was even a thing. This is way before the, uh, the Phoenix project was even published. And it was a great way to work. The developers had great automation tooling in place. We were using Jenkins' predecessor, Hudson, for continuous integration. We were doing automated testing with a bunch of Ruby tooling. Uh, since the application was built on top of Ruby, it was a fantastic way of doing work with a development team. I was, I was very happy to see 
that this started evolving over the last uh, 10 years. Oh, so you were you were DevOps before DevOps was cool. Yeah, I'm a di- bit of a DevOps hipster, I guess. You could say. <laughs> I, I think what you're alluding to is is would be defined as the goal of DevOps. But to get there, there's there's different tenants. There's different arms of DevOps that you you have to traverse before you can really get there. Today, if I had to if I had to boil it down, if I had to put a name on it, the the tenant of DevOps that we're kind of going to key into today is is automation. Leaning into and and learning and engaging with with automation platforms is how I got my start with DevOps. For me, for the longest time, I thought it was this goofy notion. I th- I thought that getting engineers to think like developers. I mean, what what kind of kooky nonsense is that? They're developers. We're engineers. We we think differently. But then I was recommended a book that that you actually mentioned, Brandon, uh, called The Phoenix Project. Less than a week later, it was recommended to me again from a a podcast that I was listening to. So I read it. It's it's a short read. It's written like a novel. There there's even a copy of it on Audible where with really good narration. So the Phoenix Project follows an IT leader who has been handed the most nightmarish task imaginable. Turn around his department, stabilize an aging infrastructure, and get a product pushed to production. And oh, by the way, we're betting everything on this new software release. If it fails, the whole company goes bankrupt. No pressure, right? So many of the situations the, the main character found himself in felt just like a lot of the environments I'd been a part of. I was shocked. The, the, the solutions the book offered were so unbelievably simple. When considered from a logical standpoint, how could this not make sense? Why isn't everybody doing these things? Reading that book is actually one of the big triggers in my career that ultimately landed me where I am today. I started automating whatever I could, be that systems patching or user creation. I chose to work with developers instead of against. Yeah, now, focusing on developers for a minute, automation from a developer point of view is automating builds and tests. So this jumps into the philosophy of continuous integration. This basically asks a developer to frequently merge code to ensure unit tests pass, which catch bugs early and often, preventing bad code from being deployed into production. Another term that is tossed around in the same thought as continuous integration or CI, is continuous delivery or deployment. That's also known as CD. Continuous delivery is a concept that basically states that you want to keep your code, that your CI tooling just autonomously tested and built is always in a deployable state, allowing your operations teams to either manually deploy or trigger an automation at a given time to deploy to production. Continuous deployment takes it a step further and automatically deploys the code into production after it has been tested. I've seen development shops deploy several code changes a day into production without taking it down. A solid automation workflow with testing at every step of the way ensures operation teams keep their goals of stability and allowing developers to meet the needs of the business. This requires developers to be using standard workflows and not keeping code on someone's workstation on a Samba share. That's a story for another day. I've been there. And, and what you're alluding to is a well-known saying in DevOps. It's, it's fail fast. A lot of people take that to mean that, that you intentionally go out and try and break production, that you intentionally try and break the system. There, there are practices that do that, like, like chaos engineering, but that's, that's a whole other subject for a whole other day. But instead, by keeping your deployment green at all times, in other words, in a deployable state, you can make those small changes and be ready to roll back in case something goes wrong. 
That's how both dev and ops are able to maintain this this balance between stability while increasing velocity. IT operations has a reputation of not delivering infrastructure fast enough for the needs of the business. Infrastructure as code is one of the key components of the automation uh, tenant in DevOps. Eric, you have some recent hands-on experience in this area. Can you explain infrastructure as code? Sure. Infrastructure as code is this concept of keeping infrastructure configuration in machine-readable files and keeping those version controlled in, in a tool like Git. So what that means is you, you can have a, a 20 or 25 line YAML configuration file that, that's easily read by an administrator, but also is machine readable so that I can define an entire, say, say a database server. I can define an entire database server, all the users, all the kernel parameters, and all the packages that need to be installed and what version they need to be installed in a 25 line file that I can read as a, as a user, but I can also allow it to be read by an orchestrator, a tool like SaltStack. Or, or Ansible, for instance. In my previous life as, as a systems administrator, I worked in an environment where we thought we really had this down. We, we thought we, you know, we, we thought we had this whole infrastructure's code thing before, before that was even a term. We copied all of our configurations onto an NFS share. This share was available for our production servers, our development servers, and not just in our data center, but in our DMZ as well. And all the security folks just stopped listening to the episode. Don't worry, it gets even better. We had some pretty awesome version control too. Uh, on, on the end of each file name, we added an underscore and a number. The highest number was considered our production version. <laughs> this worked great until someone forgot to make a copy of the file before iterating. Then not only did you lose your working copy, but you also lost your rollback as well. That does not sound fun, Eric. Uh, it, it's, it's great fun, especially when, when you have a 1 a.m. rollout and you realize that uh, when you were prepping everything that morning, uh, yeah, you, you did exactly that. And, and then you're trying to backtrack and figure out what did we fix last time at, you know, one in the morning. It could be worse. Someone could have uh, had all the production code on their workstation shared over a Samba share. I've been there and that person's desktop has crashed. And I, I literally worked for an organization where we had to ship the hard drive off to a data recovery company and pay them to resurrect the hard drive so we could get the production data off of it. <laughs> oh boy. So orchestration supports processes and workflows such in the case of infrastructure, such as provisioning and deprovisioning based on metrics or immediate uh, configuration problem based on system drift. Using robust monitoring to trigger automation is an awesome way to ensure system administrators don't get that 2 a.m. phone call. This can be done with most monitoring platforms such as Zabbix or Sensu. If CPU or memory spikes, let your monitoring system trigger automation to scale up or scale your application or automatically restart the process. That's, that's very true. I, ironically, I've, I've got another anecdote for you. The same company I mentioned a minute ago with our really cool infrastructure as code program had a database job that would kick off at 4 a.m. every morning. This job would peg the CPU for about seven minutes. So being lazy systems administrators that like to sleep at night, we wrote a script to disable monitoring on that server for about 15 minutes so we wouldn't get woken up for the same alert every single day. In hindsight, this was a terrible idea. What if instead of just pegging the CPU, the server crashed? We might not know that without monitoring. If we had a robust monitoring solution in place and tied it into our orchestration, 
We could spin up additional resources to help the nightly job, or through analytics, our monitoring system would even know about that spike and only alert if this if the spike exceeded the usual six to seven minute runtime. Small technological shifts like these are a great way to enable a healthy work-life balance. We spent thousands of dollars and thousands of hours trying to run all of our infrastructure, yet our servers are far more capable than we give them credit for. Let the issues get automatically remediated at night, and then during the day when the entire team is alert and together, actually go in and find a permanent solution for that problem. That's a great point, Eric. I mean, this makes systems administrators way more valuable. They become the automation infrastructure experts during the day. You know, that is a great point because one of the myths people have about DevOps is that DevOps, namely infrastructure as code, will ultimately automate the systems administrator out of a job. But but that's just simply not the case. I believe these operations people are even more critical nowadays than they ever have been. So not only are you not going to automate yourself out of a job by using these principles, but you're going to be able to become more valuable to your company. Your 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 department and your business units are going to be able to move faster, more reliable. So DevOps isn't a way to lose your job. It's a way to practically guarantee your job moving forward. Absolutely. I mean, uh, system administrators are now becoming automation experts. You know, they're and and they're also the infrastructure experts. You know, they're able to come in and do that during the day, and l- when they leave work, they're they've left work. You know, granted, like the scenarios we described, it does not get you away from getting paged. Excuse me, the phone call, <laughs> showing my age there. You know, getting that phone call at three a.m. Automation can only do so much, right? But if it does keep those little things from waking people up, if the automation doesn't remediate the problem, someone is going to get the get the call. See, I don't, I don't see it as a way to replace on call. If you have additional layers of defense that that are protecting you from getting paged out when you're supposed to be off work, when you're supposed to be at home with your family, I mean, think about it. With with basic monitoring and tying that into automation. And, and when you get to the next level, tying that into your orchestration, how many of those problems? Because let's face it, as, as a Linux systems administrator, most of the calls I got didn't even apply to the operating system. But because it was standard procedure, the sysadmin always got called no matter what. And a lot of times it was just sitting on the call waiting for the web service to be, to be recycled or for, uh, for a logging directory to, to get cleaned out because the hard drive filled up in the middle of the night. It's it's these little things that could be cleaned up and fixed by an automation system, and then just send you that could just send you an email. And so when you get into the office that morning, you go, "Oh, I know how to fix that. We we've fixed this problem automatically in other areas. I just need to apply it to this set of servers as well." So I've I've built in additional lines of defense protecting me and my downtime. Brandon, you and I could talk about this all afternoon, and that wouldn't even be a challenge. You know, when you when you think about DevOps, there there's multiple tenants. Um, and we really only got into one of them today. We talked about automation, but if you think about it, there's there's culture, there's technology, there's there's the people aspect. I mean, there's there's so many different pieces of, of DevOps that we we haven't even tied into yet. And you know, we we don't have time in a thirty minute podcast. I, I I guess what what I'm trying to say is is that DevOps is one of the pillars of the pseudo show. It's one of the core of of the content that we're going to be bringing in future episodes. And Brandon and I are here to help you, your team, and your business become more productive. 
for Brandon and I, we're taking a call to action item ourselves today. Uh, we plan to dive into every one of these technologies that we mentioned today. We plan on digging into the methodologies as well as bringing in guests that are experts in these fields that, so that they can share their knowledge. DevOps is such a huge topic. I mean, it's it really changes the core of how your how your business operates and how your people think for the better. If there's one takeaway, I hope that people take from this is DevOps works. If you aren't convinced by today's episode, hopefully you will be in future episodes. The tools that enable DevOps principles are so much better today than they were just three years ago. It is so much easier for operations, security, and development teams to work together and accomplish their goals. Thanks to automation principles, there are tons of open source projects that enable this. Right? We mentioned Salt and Ansible, but we didn't mention Kubernetes or OpenShift or other tooling that, that really enable DevOps principles. Yeah, that's that's very true because not only have, have has technology advanced to the point where we can automate a lot of the tools that we're we've we're so used to using, but entire platforms have have grown up. Like around the entire um, the entirety of the Cloud Native Computing Foundation and, and the Kubernetes project, the, their entire platforms that are built on this methodology. Exactly. Just like we mentioned in uh, the last two episodes, engage with the open source community. Just like the open source community has Linux fests and Linux uh, uh, user groups, there are DevOps meetups in many major cities and DevOps days conference all over the world. So if you're interested in this DevOps topic, go engage in uh, DevOps meetups in your, in your area or start one if there isn't one. And we'll cover these topics as quickly as we possibly can. But in the meantime, I would just recommend read about DevOps. The Phoenix Project is a perfect place to start. See how the tenets of DevOps can foster a culture and a technology shift that will completely change how you work and how your company operates. Speaking of which, if you haven't taken a look at the show notes for each episode, I wanted to point out that we include links to the topics we discuss and try to include additional content in case you are interested in diving deeper into any subject that we can't cover in a 30-minute podcast. We have also included a link to the Phoenix Project and the DevOps Handbook, a deep dive into how to create world-class agility, reliability, and security in technology organizations. If the Phoenix Project is the novelization of DevOps, then the DevOps Handbook is the getting started guide. Full disclosure, the included links are Amazon affiliate links. So if you purchase the Phoenix Project and or the DevOps Handbook via the link in the show notes, a portion of your purchase will go to help make this show even better. In our next episode, we'll be wrapping up our first episode arc covering some of the basics of DevOps, open source, and careers. Keep an eye out for episode four, Advancing Your Career in Tech. After that, we'll get into our next episode arc about cloud architecture, how to build an infrastructure and application with the future in mind. Thank you so much for joining us today. Your feedback is always welcome. Head on over to sudo.show slash discuss to share your thoughts. If you'd like more of our content, you can find it over at sudo.show and on Twitter at sudoshowpodcast. You can catch more awesome content over at our network partners, destinationlinux.network. Once there, you can check out the Destination Linux podcast, the network's flagship. Destination Linux is a conversational podcast about sharing our passions around Linux and open source. It's family-friendly and covers topics from news, gaming, and in-depth interviews great for beginners or master sudoers alike. Actually, Brandon, I think we should steal that master sudoers thing. I, I feel like that should be like a, a higher tier of listener or something for our show. I think so, too. <laughs> anyway, anywhere else you'd like to send folks, Brandon? You can follow me on Twitter at dbrandonjohnson or go to my website at open-tech.net. 
And you can follow me at ITGuyEric or on ITGuyEric.com. Remember, the Pseudo Show is your place for all things enterprise open source and DevOps. Until next time.